Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Toj. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and frosty. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. If you're feeling down and are full of self-doubt, he'll encourage you to play with Legos. It's Thomas! Yay! Thomas! (laughs) How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Oh, man, it's... It's so good to talk to you. We've talked a little bit uh, online on Instagram uh, once or twice, I think, doing live videos and we'll catch each other's live videos and then try to jump in. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like, let's I mean, let's just get right to it. Uh, How what what are you what are you what are you primarily known for on the Internet? (laughs) So when it when it comes to in, to Instagram, I'm probably more known as um, a Lego builder, part of the Lego Instagram community that's really just focused on just helping just builders new, um, old, whatever stage of this uh, Lego building you are in, just mm-hmm. learning to love what you create and love yourself and be kind when you're just evaluating what you've been w- w- working on. So I'm all about um just really uh just crushing self-doubt and really just helping creators specifically lego creators um just um be a lot more just comfortable with what they build yeah. and just to continue to grow as a creative person that's really what i like to focus on but i'm also known as the um the star trek the Lego guy. I, I, I haven't built a lot of Star Star Trek creations, mm. but people do know I love Star Trek because I often um, use that as a way to describe or I quote um, things that I build. I tend to reflect on Star Trek quite a bit. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I initially when I was searching and setting up the social media for this show, I think one of the first people I found was Chris Ames because he does many Trek mocks. And I mean, that's his, that's his thing. Which uh, I but, actually met him when I went to a Chicago brick convention. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I think in the future, there may need to be a strictly Lego discussion on the computer resume podcast and I'll have both of you guys on and we'll just, we'll just nerd (laughs) out over Legos. That'll be great. (laughs) Love it. Um, So let me ask you when I, when I have somebody on who is, uh, you know, a big uh, enthusiast of a very particular fandom or art, uh, I always like to ask the question, which came first that art or Star Trek. So Thomas, Mm -hmm. what came first Legos or Star Trek? Most definitely Star Trek. I actually loved Star Trek when I was just growing up because I used to watch it with my dad, the original series, which tends to be a story that 
a lot of adults seem to have, you know, they watched it with their parents and then they grew up and uh, they kind of walked away from it, have looked at Star Trek Dark Ages a little bit, and oh, then yeah. they got re reintroduced just to it. And I actually got reintroduced to Star Trek when I was in just the master's program and I was working security mm-hmm. um, for the school that I was at, I was actually going to. Mm. And I got to spend many a nights in the guard shack with Netflix on at the time when Star Trek was on Netflix. And I would just spend, I was just up all night just rewatching the old episodes and just getting involved in the TNG. Then I got into Voyager and then of course, you know, DS9 and Enterprise. And then the recent series came out and my mind is just blown at what they've been able to do um, with the storylines and the continuity, just the references to all the shows. It's just, it's truly been just incredible. Um, Start, I was actually asked by someone on an Instagram live, if I had to choose between Star Trek or Lego, only have one in my life, which would I choose? And hands down, I would choose Star Trek. Oh, wow. Like nice. I, I, I would sell every single thing in my room if I was told, you cannot own a Lego piece in your house. Um, you have to choose. I would choose Star Trek because wow. it truly was something that gave me hope mm-hmm. in a period of my life when I really was losing a lot of that. Wow. Um, right now, I'm, I'm actually going through a pretty tough season, um, and I know that Star Trek is there. Um, not to spoil anything, but when I, uh, I, went, I was going through this thing at work that mm-hmm. was a little bit distressful, um, and I felt like my life was just, just falling apart, and I went home. I said, I want to watch Strange New Worlds, and I turned on the Strange New Worlds episode, and this is this is going to spoil anything and it opens up to pike just completely i'm um, just depressed and distraught not knowing what to do with his life yep. beard is grown and i'm just like once again star trek delivers on pulling me out of a dark place um yeah. yeah so that's really just how important star trek is to me it's saved my life i believe on numerous occasions it's so interesting to me how this science fiction franchise can speak to so many people on so many different levels. Um, my wife right now is actually in the process of writing a book about the American healthcare system. Mm, okay. uh, and the idea is treating the American healthcare system as a patient, but she's uh, treating it as a patient that is under the care of Starfleet medical. So she's taking all of the, best points of every Starfleet doctor that has come through and applying it to how can we fix or diagnose the American medical, uh, you know, system. And you look at, uh, the, there's tons of books out there, words of wisdom from Kirk, from Spock, from Picard, from whoever there's all of these things, you know, um, the fashion, the technology, mm-hmm. the, uh, the ideal of I'm going to be able to rattle off high levels 
a high difficulty mathematics mathematics yeah. off the top of my head like they do on Star Trek and people strive to do to do that and some achieve it you know and they they they're they're fans of Star Trek and they end up working for NASA and stuff like yep. that and it's all of these things are just so wonderful but it's interesting that this string of fictional narratives reaches so far into so many different people's lives. And now that um, I would say with new Trek, we have certainly the most diverse version of Trek. It has certainly progressed. It would, it was always diverse, but has certainly progressed from the sixties into the eighties and nineties. And now the current iteration is the most diverse in front of and behind the camera all for the better. Like we're getting more stories told from more different points of view. And that's just, it's, it's opening up even wider. Like it's, it's really stretching its arms out to try to hug us as a society. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah, no. And that's great. Um, I love that. Um, One thing that I love about Star Trek is that I actually have an Instagram video um, by an account that I follow. His name is Tom. Bottleson. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you know of, of him. I can go ahead and send you his account. But he did the short video on why Star Trek. And he went through um, a bunch of the other science fictions, you know, out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, Brave New World, uh, Soylent Green, Planet of the Apes. They all depict the future being like a dystopia, you know, Blade Runner, right? Like everything is um, this gone to hell basically right like like dirt there's like the world's a disaster because we never got a hold of the climate crisis we've blown each other up or whatever it it is but he says what really sets star trek apart is that it says that we got it right we were able to move beyond our prejudices We, we we were able to solve our energy crisis we were able to deal with poverty and hunger lack of shelter, all of those things. And then we went to the stars. Yeah. Um, and to me, that just gives me chills every time I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, Star Trek is so much more than a show that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I see it as a commentary on how humanity has hope and we can yeah. move forward. And anyone who listening to this who doesn't think the new series out there are worth watching i can tell you right now it is already taking current world events and helping us see them in a way that can give us hope and look at things in a better light um anyone who hasn't who's not watching them i highly encourage you to because uh, the message of hope just reigns supreme in star trek yeah yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's dial back a little bit. Yeah, you mentioned please. you mentioned that you started watching Trek. And, and I mean, I imagine we're fairly similar in age. You look to be in about your 30s, yes. am I guessing? Correct. Uh, so for you to be uh, introduced to TOS first is fairly unique. Uh, so do you consider your do you consider Kirk your captain and you're a TOS kid as a, as opposed to TNG? So Probably not. I'm, I'm often asked, who was your favorite um, captain or who's your favorite character? Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, I view the captains the same way I look back and I think of who was my favorite teacher. 
Uh, like okay. I don't really have a favorite captain because yeah. just uh, the role of the captain in every single series with the exception of probably lower decks is all is largely around the story of the just captain and mm-hmm. the issues of command and the burdens of command and the fact that I feel that Star Trek did such a great job which other science fictions don't do as well um, Battlestar Galactica is an example where all of the officers I feel were pretty much the same. You know, some might argue with with me on on that, but by and large, they had they had it, it, like it wasn't about how are the officers dealing with the burdens of command, but starts but Star Trek does, and so I don't consider my myself Kirk or Picard or Cisco or Jane way, but each one taught me different things about myself, and they read me in ways. But That's the captain great. that I tend to be drawn to, mm-hmm. um, it's actually Archer. Um, really? I think that Archer shows a brilliance, shows the brilliance of the combination of um, Kirk and Picard mm. and, and even Janeway and um, just a fashion of, you know, they he went through a lot of the same stuff that those three captains did. I mean, yeah. he, I mean he was lost in the expanse. Janeway was lost in the Delta quad a quadrant. Um, you have um, him just having the real, just serious um, ethical dilemmas and con- conversations. Uh, the episode with the co-genitor comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of Picard there. Yeah. Um, and then there are the, the, the episodes. I can't think of a specific example um, when DePaul was, I can remember the episode, but DePaul was, talking to him about how like you don't interfere with alien cultures and one day he says well you know what one day i might have to worry about it but this is an earth vessel yeah (laughs) there you see a lot of kirk so i really see feel that you see the volatile nature of kirk the intellect of picard and the resolve of janeway and one captain so that's how (laughs) i kind of view archer yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I've been struggling for a long time, and then and then we'll get into enterprise a little more uh, yeah. specifically. But I've I've always tried to identify uh, the particular captains as certain archetypes, and I've always said that Kirk is Kirk is the pirate. Yes, Picard is the soldier sailor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cisco is the father. Yep. Janeway, I used to refer to Janeway as the survivor, but I think she, I think Janeway is the shepherd. Yep. And I've always struggled with Archer, and I've 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 kind of come to the conclusion that he was the explorer. He had he had a lot, and he also had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, you know, Starfleet was basically in a storefront, and they're just like, "All right, here's your chip. Go have fun, kids." Yeah, it's pretty much let, what it was. Let us know what breaks. And like, yeah. <laughs> we'll fix it later. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, uh, the the um, the uh, the the ship wasn't even like even done. Like, it didn't even have a the phase cannon yeah. on it. <laughs> there, <laughs> like, there was like, no such thing as red alert. Like, they had to come up with all alert. this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, read alert. <laughs> So, so good. when yeah. it uh when it comes to this one specifically like the idea of the green girl uh yeah. you know which was actually first set up in the cage we got our first glimpse of our yeah. first uh green girl in uh susan oliver uh in the cage but here this isn't the first time we've seen 
green women. Uh, they actually did appear in the three-part series uh, that Brent Spiner guest starred in. But here's our first look at not only, um, I, I'll say, a, a slice of Orion culture more closely, mm -hmm. uh, in, in more detail, and seeing what they are capable of and what they do on a more... Uh, the the layers get peeled back on the Orions in this in this particular episode. I feel like uh, agree disagree. Do you have your own thoughts on that? So I actually think that this episode, which I feel about a lot of the episodes, um, you know, for exa example, TNG gets a lot of bad rap for having the worst for Frankie episodes, but I also think they were just informative in terms of the species. De development. Um, Star Trek is one of those shows where I feel that you don't just get get a just character development, but you also get species development. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I love this episode so much. Um, in Enterprise, which really, you know, I can see a lot of uh, the controversy, but when it comes to Star Trek, you know, it's it's never short on controversy in terms of what they what they try to tackle and also enterprise as a whole was a series that i feel would have done a lot better if they started in like 2003 um you know yeah. you know because what what they wrote was before um you know like a lot of what they get this criticism for is 9 11 and how they kind of position the storyline and didn't rewrite it we're not going to go down that that path. But anyways, um, I, um, when it comes to this episode with the Orion slave girls, I actually loved it because the Orions were always talked about. You know, we heard about the women. We never really got a good glimpse of the Orions as a whole. Um, yeah. But in this episode, they packed, they jam-packed it in a way that really helped you realize that the entire species was kind of doomed from the start in terms mm. of the women, you know, were so focused on um, controlling the men and having the power, but they also needed the men because of their size to yeah. carry out what they needed because just being able to influence someone um, sexually wasn't enough you know they really needed the combination of the two so i feel in terms of species development the episode did a phenomenal job at just really just giving us a really amazing a snippet into what that culture was yeah um that we didn't get in any other other episode i would actually argue it is probably the best episode in terms of just, um, the species development in the sense of only like doing an all-in-one episode like mm -hmm. it, yeah pretty straightforward forward in my opinion yeah i think so and it's it's interesting to me you know when you stop and uh you know a lot of people tend to focus on the overall narrative um which is largely what we do here on the show. We are, you know, we are covering the entire franchise chronologically, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to get into different aspects of this franchise because it is so vast, very, very expansive. Yeah. And to look at especially the certain species mm -hmm. and what that species is 
commenting on about us Mm -hmm. and what are the issues that we're having to remember and relate to them and deal with those issues to establish communication and then also realize, oh, that's something I need to work on too. You know, uh, the idea of anger, rage, and violence, you know, I think Klingons, you know, and looking at things logically, but without any passion, you know, you think of, you think about Vulcans and it's very easy for people in power to look at people, their constituents, or um, those of a lesser station as a number, a statistic, mm-hmm. something that, you know, it's on paper. It doesn't really matter. No, those are, those are people, <laughs> um, you know, um, and then, you know, the flip side to that is looking at somebody who's completely passionate and, you know, disregarding all logic altogether. And there you get the Romulans. Yep. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. But yeah, this has been fascinating, uh, you know, to look at because I don't think even since this episode, and this episode was in April of 2005, I think we haven't really gotten much further explanation into the Orion people until Tendi from Lower Decks. We actually go to Orion and, uh, and we see her interacting with her family and the Orion people to a degree. And I think that's actually, you know, since this episode is our next closest, deepest dive on the Orion people. Um, But yeah, this has been fascinating. Um, Well, before we dive too much further into this episode, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, and Kitty B. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN Friday on an all-new Star Trek Enterprise. I think she likes you. The women of Orion have the power. Feel the power. It's an archer is a very large... Do you feel me? Ship. Ship. The power to drive half the crew. Their presence is becoming disruptive. You're telling me. It's a highly potent pheromone. Do you feel me? Out of control. With only six episodes left, anything could happen. Enterprise is approached by an Orion Syndicate vessel. An archer is invited to visit by its captain, Harad Sar. During the visit, Archer and Reed are entertained by three Orion dancers, Navar, Dinesh, and Maras. Archer negotiates with Harad Sar, and they agree to a joint magnesite mining operation. And at Harad Sar's insistence, the three slaves are gifted to him. Archer and Reed return to Enterprise with the Orion women, and set a course to survey the nearby planet. En route, the presence of the Green Girls begins having an effect on the crew. Men become increasingly aggressive, while women increasingly suffer from headaches. Navarre focuses her attentions on Archer, while Dinesh seduces Commander Kelby. Arriving at the planet, a sluggish Archer orders Reed to destroy another ship. But he refuses, and it escapes. Meanwhile, Kelby sabotages the warp drive before Trip can stop him. Afterwards, Doc Flox determines that the Orions are producing pheromones, causing the crew's adrenaline levels to spike, only to pucker remain unaffected, since she is Vulcan and he shares her immunity because of their psychic bond. How convenient! The Orions are placed under guard in the decon chamber. Herod Sar returns in his vessel, attacks the now disabled Enterprise, and then begins to tow it away. He reveals that, in fact, 
The syndicate wants Archer's head, and in this matter, he is the slave, and the Orion women are his masters. The Orions escape and Make him away. to the bridge, as do to Pucker. Navarre tells Archer to arrest to Paul, but Trip stuns all the male crew members with his phaser, and to Pucker disable the Orion ship with a pulse sent from Enterprise's deflector dish. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> they send the Orions back to their ship, and to Paul finally admits she would personally like Trip to return, and he replies that he has already requested a transfer back to Enterprise. Well, Hey folks, just wanted to take a second to let you know we here at Computer Resume Podcast are currently raising money for a family in need. This is a family Kat and I know personally, and they really need as much help as we can all give. We'll be having a benefit comedy show if you're in the Greenville, South Carolina area at Radio Room on December 6th. But in the meantime, please click the link in our bio on Instagram or Twitter and hit that top link for more details. Thanks everyone. Now, back to the show. So right off the bat, we see that Archer kind of, he, he, there's, there was a period, especially in season one where Archer makes some really boneheaded decisions <laughs> like, Hey, let's just go down to this planet. We've never been on without EV suits. I'll take my dog. Everything will be fine. But it seems like this and one, for some reason they're wearing ball caps. Yeah, they're yeah, just yeah, just just a ball cap. That's all we really need. Um, <laughs> Get the sun out of their eyes, right? Of course, of course. But this this is probably since that period of time. This is probably one of the dumber things Archer's done of late. You know the you know his time in the Expanse and the and the Zindi War really kind of hardened him in terms of being careful about certain things and not throwing caution to the wind so much and realizing that things can turn south quickly. He goes to this Orion vessel with not much prompting with one dude beside him and is just kind of like, okay, we'll come over for dinner. Sounds fine. Nothing can go wrong. We like... What were you thinking? What did you honestly think was going to happen, man? Like, especially as if you look at what happened in that three-parter uh, with uh, Brent Spiner, mm-hmm. you know, where they disrupted their uh, their slave trade, which yeah, that that's a that's a big deal to the Orion people. So, did you think there really weren't going to be any consequences with that? I mean, what what are your thoughts here at the outset of like how things go down initially? So, I mean. I think that it was probably Archer's way of trying to have a win in mm. terms of diplomacy. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how I've actually now never thought to an extent about how much of a bonehead decision it was for them to just say, hey, yeah, sure. Let's, let's have a, some dinner. Yeah. But you know, when you, you know, just continue to be reminded of what previously happened, um, you mm. know, with the three parter with the augments, Mm-hmm. Um, what was he thinking? Like he knew <laughs> that he literally, you know, like people are part of their economy, uh-huh. you know, and they literally expended resources. Like it would be like a barrel of oil, um, like spilling into like a river. Like yeah. they 
took enterprise and they wanted, you know, that like everything was count was calculated. Yep. They extended resources. So not only did they disrupt the slave trade in terms of who they were going to sell uh, the crew to, but they wasted all their resources to get the crew basically. So of course they were going to be ticked off. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you know, so looking back, it's like, what was Archer is thinking? Like yeah. not only that, but he's all, but, but, but like, the Klingons won his head on like a platter too, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. like he's like SOL at this point. Sorry, yeah. but no, I hope it's all right to say. Like, yeah, no, that's fine. Luck. Like he's out of luck, you know. So yeah. like, I don't know what he was like thinking. Uh, but yeah, it was a pretty bonehead decision. Yeah, Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs will swoop in and save the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it it just yeah it just strikes as odd, and you know. For him, for and and again, like as if that wasn't a red flag enough. Hey, you disrupted our slave trade as a gift. Here's three. Here <laughs> like, three slaves. Yeah, here's just three slaves. Here you go. No problems at all. Uh, like, yeah. How genius is it that because when you're watching the episode, that gets sorry to cut you off, but the three part no. episode with the. Brent Spiner and the Augments, they're auctioning off one of these slave girls. Yep. So they get these men to spend all this money on these slave girls. So they get that into their pocket, yep. almost as like a prerequisite for the, for the rest of it to come. And then the women are sent to those men who are then pro- probably convinced to sell everything or give everything to the Orions. Yeah, like, exactly. What, like, and, like again, uh, the slave is terrible, but what an ingenious way to exploit pe- people. I mean, yeah. again, like, they're reliant on one another, as I said at the start of this. Like, sorry, it, I just think that, again, yeah, this that's perfect. a really important part of the Orion cult- culture for us to learn how the women are used to manipulate um yeah not only not only the men but influencing people of means and power yeah to do orion bidding yeah you know to like really can't like it's yeah a phenomenal um like i think that the episode has its appropriate critiques but i think we can look past them when we realize just it was written so well, I, I feel. Yeah, I think so. And this is this is the last sort of bonehead red flag thing that I'm going to point out. Yeah, please. You make everybody else go in the decon chamber when they first come on the ship. You're going to bring in three Orion slaves and not put them in the decon chamber immediately to make sure that they're square and good to go. Like <laughs> what, what if they have no nefarious, uh, you know, intentions? Yeah. What if they just happen to be carrying a disease that'll wipe out the entire crew? Like <laughs> what? Oh man. <laughs> and again, that, that I put on flocks, which I won't blame flocks for much. But that should have been that should have been like thing one. He should have met them at the airlock. Like, okay, everybody to the decon chamber, and let's go ahead and switch out clothes, and we're gonna take these and burn them. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. But let's uh, you know let's not um, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Let's uh, get right right to it. 
the the Orion females are presented in a very um, sexy manner, very yep. alluring, uh, very scantily clad. Uh, this is nothing new <laughs> for Star Trek. Uh, it's been going on since the 60s. That's mm-hmm. kind of their thing. Um, but again, it's also part of their culture. Like that's kind of yes. how things work. I mean, we can see, you know, certain things are presented uh, from different cultures. Uh, the Klingon women tend to have that someone described it online as a boob window in their in their otherwise fully armored body they've got a boob yes, window right. yeah yeah a boob a boob window which also happens to be right over their heart <laughs> well remember they have two of them oh that's right yeah that's right i forgot about that so yeah maybe there was some logic to that i don't i don't know <laughs> i mean maybe the other one is like to the right or the left the right or maybe it's a little lower yeah i yeah, don't know no <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there's no, and I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later, but there's certainly no uh, shortage of commentary about the misogyny uh, that is oh, presented yeah. here. Uh, obviously, uh, the women being in very uh, provocative outfits, as we've mentioned, and mm-hmm. uh, basically just seen as eye candy for this episode. However, I think there certainly was uh, an end game to that. You know, it was not with, it was not completely without reason. Yeah. And I think that we see throughout the series, there has been a certain treatment of women starting with the pilot episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, Archer is very distrusting of Vulcans. And when he's presented with T'Pol to be his science officer and second in command, he all but tells her to go wait in the kitchen. Like, it's, I mean, it's bad. It's, yeah. it's racist and, and misogynist, like yeah. all wrapped up in one. It's like, who, buddy, let's, yeah. oh, this, this watches differently 20 years later. Like this is, this is rough to watch. And I mean, we see T'Pol get put through the ringer, like at every turn, like, and, and kind of get the shaft in terms of some sort of resolution coming out of all of these hardships. Like she gets addicted to Trillium D and then, okay, she's cured. Done with that storyline. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, you know, same thing with her, um, the episode commenting on date rape where she's uh, forced into a mind meld and contracts Pinar syndrome. Yeah. You know, we see, okay, we see the initial act. We see uh, the fallout of her catching Pinar syndrome. And then later it's just cured. Okay. No more problem there. Like, yeah. you know, she, she, we get these buildups and Jolene Blalock, God bless her. She, she swings for the fences when she, when she gets the chance to, uh, how do you feel about this being potentially another chapter in a, it's a male driven show. That's yeah. not a secret. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of negative thoughts about this episode particular yeah. in particular. How do you feel about it? Where do you stand? Yeah. Well, a lot of thoughts trying to compartmentalize them into things. So I'm going to go ahead and start just. Yeah. Start take your time. Um, so I would say that first of all, I would, I would want to kind of push back and say that um, not to push back on you, but push back on the critics that might think that this is just a revisiting of the misogyny of the 1960s. Please 
please feel free to push back on me. If I am wrong, please point it out. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I don't, I, and and again, this isn't a right or wrong thing. This is just Mm -hmm. my thoughts. Okay. Um, But I don't believe it's a revisiting of the misogyny of the sixties. Because I think that the audience of the sixties was a lot different than the audience of the early two thousands. That's fair. Because we don't really see a lot of the, of though of, we don't really see that in TNG um, or Voyager or DS9. Mm-hmm. I I don't believe. Um, I could be wrong. I'm open to push back on that if there are some examples of that. Of course, Deanna Troy and the cold and the and how her room always seemed to have the AD, AC cranked cranked up when she's wearing her, her nightgown. Like I mean, that's like maybe one example but i wouldn't say it's really this characterization of the 60s is being put into enterprise because you don't really see a lot of you know the sexualizing of women in enterprise that i remember Mm -hmm. until you get to the orions i mean you do have the tight body suits onto onto paul and seven of nine and voyager you know sure know your audience know what they're up to personally i never cared for it i felt it was reaching um in ways that did not need to be reached um but anyway so i'll say also i'll I'll say that first and foremost i don't believe it's them trying to revisit the misogyny of the 60s um i believe it was a key component of understanding the orion culture would this would the episode be shot and told in the same way today? Of course not, um, because every single Star Trek episode is the product of its time. Hmm. Um, it's always been ahead of itself, so it's really easy to look at star at like a Star Trek episode just ten years ago, right? You know, or there wasn't one ten years ago, but you know, well, what? it's it's weird to think Discovery yeah. started in twenty seventeen. Yeah. It's so, been a, I mean, that's been a few years now. Yeah, it has. But like, but, you know, but, but for me, that's all still fresh, you know, and that was on the cusp of a lot of, of a very rigid political climate, climate, climate too. And that right. influenced the storyline in major ways, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I would not believe that it's, and I keep saying this um, is a revisiting of that. Uh, I don't believe it was the intent of the writers to cre- create or to bring back like a misogynist kind of culture. Mm. Um, my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I do think that the pushback is necessary because I never want to tell anyone that they don't have the right to be upset um, or to feel that there is an issue with what was being presented. So mm. I'm not going to say that, oh, well, they're being too <laughs> sensitive or see the bigger picture i would not be a loyal star trek fan if i wasn't willing to listen to someone who feels uh, who feels that um there is misogyny take take in place it would i i would not i don't feel that i would be a good person if i didn't take a chance to stop and listen i personally feel it was purely species development and I do think that now that you bring it up, I really want to go back and watch uh, the interactions between Archer and T'Pol now. Oh, um, yeah. Because Archer was dealing with a lot of racism. Yeah. You know, a lot Big of time. 
um, um, and there, um, I don't, I don't believe the misogyny was intended, mm. but I also think that because I, I, I always took it as he purely just hated Vulcans for one reason or another, you know, yeah. which yeah. I feel that he had good reason to be upset with Vulcans mm-hmm. or not, sorry, not upset with Vul- Vulcans, um, where he had a reason to be upset with the Vulcans who held back his father's work. Yeah. That was, that was a large part of it. And I don't know that it was, I don't know that they ever fully addressed that he held his father's work over, over diplomacy. You know, he, he was putting, he was putting the past ahead of a path to the future. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that that was ever fully addressed. I I don't know. I, I do know that when uh, the episode, I believe it's called fusion where they address, uh, date rape and that's the episode where to paul is assaulted no one ever says to paul i'm sorry i'm sorry that happened you know there's really no good, ju- really good point no yeah. justice is doled out mm-hmm. at all yeah. so i think there you know i think there's some how much of that was coming from the writer's room how much of that was coming from executives how much of that was coming from the network wow who knows but it's there and again, we're talking about this 20 years after the fact. Yeah. It's a little pointless to, you know, point fingers, but that is what we do here on the show occasionally. That's a really good, <laughs> that's a really good point, Todd. You know, why I would be interested to know, you know, how many women were at the writing table of that episode. I would be interested to know how many women weren't listened to at the writing of that episode or how many women were consulted at the presentation of the O'Brien women. Right. Um, Could there have been a point where Archer, you know, made an attempt to get them different clothes? You know, I think they mentioned it, but we never see, we never see them even attempt to wear anything other than the chains and silk yeah. rags and that they have. Yeah, I feel like they were more concerned with they were more concerned with addressing the slavery issue than they were mm. with the women p- p- being treated as objects. Yeah, um, and I guess that is a valid critique because even in you know, whenever this episode aired, 2003, is that when it was? Uh, 2005, I believe. 2005, okay. Thank you. Um, uh, the, the feminist movement had a lot of traction. So I, I can't even say that there wasn't a lot of traction. This is really causing, causing me to rethink my view of the episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate this because I'm actually starting to not like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me just say. Episode. So I'm actually, as you're leaning that way, I'm actually going to lean to where you just were. <laughs> a lot of a lot of this, you know, in exploring the culture of the yeah. Orion people yeah. was was one of the goals yeah. of showrunner. Manny Cotto. He wanted they did a take, great job doing. Yeah. He wanted to yeah. take season four and really strive to have it connect more to the franchise because up until the end of season three, there weren't a lot of connections there. We saw a couple glimpses of things here and there, but seldom, very, very, very seldom. Here in season four, 
Manny Cotto was making big strides to connect things. See also the three-parter again. (laughs) I don't know how much we're going to mention it here in this episode, but the three-parter with Brent Spiner, that was a huge, huge connection. That Augment episode was beautiful. Yeah. Not only at, not, not only examining the Sung family, but also the Augments, which leads to Space Seed, which leads to Wrath of Khan. Like, that you can go down either of those paths, and those paths are long, long paths. So when we've got this here, it's easy to look at it and say, okay, yeah, you got a bunch of green girls half naked running around the ship. Okay, but if you remember in the cage, there was a reason that Pike had the vision of the green girl. The reason the um, Telosians put that in front of him. They knew that Starfleet had interacted with the Orion slave women and their legendary beauty and seductiveness and all of these things were enticing to the male human creatures. So that's what was presented. Maybe maybe that wasn't the intention in the 60s, but now that it's become canon... Manny Cotto relied on that and said, hey, let's make that connection. Mm-hmm. That's why that happens later is that's a legendary thing in Starfleet history is Jonathan Archer interacting with three Orion <laughs> slave women. Yeah. And it becomes this thing that's spoken in hushed tones around Starfleet Academy of like, hey, did you hear about the Orion? What a Whoa. great connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually very, it's, it's very smart. And yes, so- it's. It looks one way, but it's actually something else. I am, I'm actually holding, you know, both sides of what I've argued this evening, just in tension in my head, right? Like just in my head right now. <laughs> I do, I will agree to say that I really love the development um, because ultimately, as I said, the symbiotic relationship of the Orion men and women was essential to understand. And it even brings... To a head, you know, the, the augment episode, like we keep mentioning that three the parter, they were auctioning off the women, but yep. the women were actually running the show and they probably knew who was going to buy, buy them. Um, or maybe they already in, influenced them because they went by to look at the product before, right? Of course. You know, so maybe they've already influenced who they want. Um, that's really, really great. Yeah. I think that's really good um but i do think that the critiques of what you mentioned i do, do want to talk a little bit about to paul and uh the diffusion episode with uh, the the vulcans because that was a that's a really important thing because it almost seems like they wanted to address a lot of feminist topics in enterprise but they never really allowed themselves to go there yeah. Um, and I really think that it was because the viewership wasn't ready. Mm, interesting. Um, or they wouldn't have been receptive because I'm not sure. I know that um, my girlfriend is, she is um, like a Trekkie through and through. I mean, Good. she is just, uh, just a Trekkie just like this um, through and through. I would be interested to know. I would love to see a graph, you know, of what the the, the fandom has looked like over time. Uh, um, yeah. Because I really think that 
it's pro it's I I would suspect it is definitely more diverse than it was in the nineties. Yeah, I think so. And I think as the show has progressed, um, you know, the fandom has progressed. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, maybe perhaps initially it largely spoke to a primarily male audience. Um, but I think there were things to be explored there and uh, by both sides, by all peoples, um, you know, especially, and I've spoken at this, uh, I've spoken about this many times on the show the diversity of the original series and then people like what it was all white dudes well hang on yeah you had a white you had a white guy as the captain but over his shoulder you had an african-american female well that was unheard of not to mention in front of him was a was a russian (laughs) sitting next to a japanese pilot like that was the the that was a huge huge Mm -hmm. deal all the way around you know in fact in the episode the cage they had quite a few women on the bridge yeah. and there's the joke going around of pike in that episode saying i'm just not used to a woman on the bridge uh and then of course Anson, you know an, an image of anson mount saying oh that was a long time ago <laughs> yeah yeah or 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 um forget about that yeah 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 oh forget about that <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness and what they're doing with those characters and strange new worlds wonderful oh my gosh it's so great and it it was so interesting initially that the executives uh or the or the network came to gene rodberry was like you can't have all these women on the bridge okay fine i'll replace them with a a black woman a russian and a japanese uh pilot like oh man we should have just let him have i i imagine that there was an executive like smoking you know, just chain smoking in his office, uh, slapping his, uh, you know, secretary's butt, just going, oh, we should have let him have all the women. We should have let him have the women on the bridge. Now we, yeah. now we got these. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's just, I mean, that's a phenomenal point is yeah. I've always loved Star Trek because even when it comes to the disoriginal series, yeah. you, you have episodes that just blow your mind. Yeah. Um, let that be your last battlefield. Um, is probably one of my favorite episodes of the mm-hmm. TOS area. Um, there's also the, um, can't, I'm going to totally butcher this one, but the uh, cloud minders, the people uh-huh. who lived up in, in the clouds and then the workers oh, were yeah. below yeah, yeah, yeah. dealing with um, just classism. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. was also the, the episode where you learned that Spock apparently knew how to hit on women. <laughs> I forgot about that. Never yeah. had a Vulcan before, nor I a work of art, madam. I was like, oh my goodness, fuck. Ooh, he's a smoothie. He's <laughs> definitely a smoothie. And it was totally like polite. And then quite gentlemanly. <laughs> Kirk was just like, damn, son. <laughs> <laughs> you know so okay but but you know like so star trek is um representative of its time and then mm-hmm. you have tng with uh, the outcast when it's dealing yeah. with conversion therapy yep. um you have the episode where um cork is really just struggling um you know um during it's during the first season of ds9 when you already see him. I'm um, just struggling with the fact that he was gambling 
someone's life where any other Ferengi would be like, I'm playing this game. I'm, I'm going to win money, you know, yeah. but so I just, um, I, I, Star Trek was always, um, um, about 10 years ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, yeah. in terms of what it was trying to present and what they're running into now with this di- discovery is prone and is pro is pronouns. Um, yeah. You know, how do you address certain crew mem- members? Well, and the people are, and I, I see in comments like that kind of stuff would already be, be resolved. Why are they bringing it up as an issue? I said, because it's an issue now, yeah. like, Star Trek is a commentary on what's happening around us right now. Yeah. Um, and it's to help us look inward. Um, yep. So that's all, that's all I'll say. I don't want to, it's really easy for me to spoil stuff if I'm not careful. So no, no. And, th- and that's okay. I, it's, you know, here, you know, looking at that and thinking about, you know, we got a little bit with, um, we got a little bit shown to us of, the trans community i feel through jadzia dax on deep space nine and Mm -hmm. i i you know maybe maybe a lot of people didn't really understand that at the time and you know yeah yeah it was a lot of people just saw oh you mean you mean she can kiss a girl and stuff like that oh that's cool you know okay it's deeper than that but you know to go to what has happened in uh discovery where Adira Tall is talking with uh, Paul Stamets and says, by the way, I go by they, them. And he says, okay, it was, it's really, you know, I think that was a message. I think that was a message in two parts. And, you know, up until this point, I've always seen it of like, Hey, yeah, you should just say, okay. And do your best. (laughs) That's, That's all we're asking for people to do is when someone says, Hey, I go by they, them just say, okay. And, and then just try that's all we're asking but you know what i think it's i think it's also a message to other folks of to say hey you don't have to get bent out of shape at people maybe they don't know be kind like you would want them to be kind to you so just so just say just to let you know and and present it that way there's no need to there's no need to start the conversation at 11 (laughs) especially when it wasn't anywhere close there to begin with Start here to say, hey, just to let you know, I go by they, them. Okay. And what's absolutely, I think, just amazing is how, like, quickly the whole crew, and I know, like, it's written that way, right? But sure. Like, I see it as in the future, it's going to be such a quick thing. Like, yeah. it's going to be a, oh, I'm they, oh, okay. Like, this yeah. how just quickly. Um, but you also, I think, what was really, really cool is it was a very obvious you know just hey i gotta go by they them but they also had a moment with them where where they began to say i never really felt i was either i never really felt i belonged and i'm just like there is an adult who is looking at this saying that was me when i was their age or there is a teenager looking at that saying oh my gosh like I'm seeing myself identified in this episode. Yeah. And I just think that that is absolutely just beautiful. Yeah. Um, And and I think it transcends a lot of different things. I mean, we're talking about the, we're talking about the transgender community uh, in, in this particular aspect, but you know what, feeling like an outsider 
mm-hmm. is goes beyond sexual preference or sexual orientation or or gender identity. I should say it goes beyond that. I, I there's plenty of binary folks who just kind of feel out of place, you know. And I hate to tell you, that going through life as you become an adult, that stuff doesn't go away. Like you there, you might feel like an outsider. You might feel like a weirdo. You know, and there's a such a wide spectrum of those things. And I think to kind of wrap up this particular section here, you know, you talked about where, uh, you know, Star Trek has always been ahead of its time and, you know, dealing with certain things and dealing with society and addressing issues within our society. Good science fiction, not just Star Trek, but good science fiction has always held up a mirror and said, hey, Here's who we are. We're talking about it through, you know, people with antennas and and three eyes and stuff like that. But this is who we are. And it may be a cautionary tale of like, hey, you know what? This drama that you're seeing unfold is based on actual events. This is happening in our world right now. Mm -hmm. So we can change it if we stop, think and reach out to people or do whatever it is we need to do to quell this conflict, whatever it is. But this is our this is our chance. This is this is our commentary on what is happening. If you feel a certain way about this, there is something you can do right now. You don't have to wait to the 23rd, 24th, 25th, 30 something century yes. to see change. You can actually do it right now. And to and to get back to enterprise, because I know that's where we want to segue back. Um, a retelling of let that be your last battlefield from TOS was retold in Enterprise with the people who worship the uh, the, uh, the sphere build builders. Yeah. And they're talking about this war. They're having this war, this conflict, and they're fighting one another. And they want Enterprise to vaporize, you know, the enemy, the enemy and then Archer or someone, I can't remember who, looked at them and say, so like, what's the, the conflict? And then they literally say, we believe the spheres were built in X number of days and they believe it was Y number of days. Yeah. And yeah. it's like it something that small. And for that, you're willing to destroy your civilization. Yeah. yeah. Like it was like, it's like, it's like no, no big deal. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, like they're wrong. And I'm just like, Oh my God, yeah. this is like <laughs> real life. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we, we, we've had some wonderful discussions on this show with folks, folks who believe in, who believe very strongly their, uh, their religious convictions. We have, we've had folks who don't hold to any religious convictions, but the discussions that have come out of them have been so wonderful. I'm so thankful if I can take a second to just say to everyone who's come on or to anyone I've interacted with, and had a deep discussion, even a surface level discussion about these issues through the lens of Star Trek. Thank you, because yeah. I feel I feel enriched for it. Uh, and I hope that uh, some folks out there do as well. But you know what? No matter how you feel about Star Trek, good, bad, what you saw on camera, what was happening behind the camera, there's always one question you have to ask, good or bad, who do we blame? So this episode was directed by Alan Croker, whose last episode directing was season four, episode three, Home, which we discussed with actor-filmmaker Matt Jennings back on episode 71. 
This episode was written by showrunner Manny Cotto, as we've mentioned. Uh, his last episode was season four, episode 15, Affliction. Uh, that episode also had our first guest star, Derek Magyar, uh, who was returning as Commander Kelby. Both of those uh, folks were involved in that episode. And we discussed that part of our Seth MacFarlane series with artist Dwayne Ballinger on episode 79. Now let's get to the Orion women. As Navarre, we have Miss Sia Batten, uh, whose profile pic is from this episode on IMDb. <laughs> Around the same time as the classically trained ballet dancers ensemble called the Pussycat Dolls was taking off in LA. She got her first credit on a TV movie in 1995 called Weird World, playing the role of Catherine Lane. Here's a synopsis. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting. Greed, murder, sex, all appear to thrive at the Wilson Emery Institute for Research and Development, a.k.a. Weird where brilliant, young, but emotionally unstable scientific geniuses are recruited to develop cutting-edge projects in such fields as virology, time travel, rejuvenation, and robotics. Uh, it sounds very much like a sci-fi uh, movie of the week, but uh, from reading a couple of reviews online, it actually sounded pretty good, so I may play a drinking game with my co-hosts on cinema shock and we may end up watching this sooner or later uh she would go on to do two episodes of red shoe diaries in 95 and 96 and then make her first franchise appearance on deep space nine season four episode four indiscretion which was directed by lavar burton aka Jordy laforge and season four, episode 13, Return to Grace. Uh, in both of those episodes, she played the character of Zial. And then we have Crystal Allen as Dinesh. Uh, outside of roles like beautiful, beautiful girl, stripper, and party girl number two, she's played a lot of women whose names end in A, but sound like a. Uh, Selma, Lisa, Laura, Samantha, Priscilla, Linda, Teresa, Amanda. She did that one twice. Tia, Rhonda, Vanessa, Uma, spelled with two O's and not a U. Barbara, Jessica, Laura, Anna, and Cassandra. Um, that last one, I will mention this uh, for my friend, Bunny Bishop, is actually a uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer knockoff. Okay. The, it's called The Slayer Chronicles, Volume 1, and it was done last year. Interestingly, it stars Madison Russ, uh, who's a young African-American uh, female actress. Uh, but the interesting part is it was directed by her father, Tim Russ, a.k.a. Tuvok from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, then we have Menina Fortunato. Let's try that again. Then we have Menina Fortunato as Maris. Uh, you know, I've, I've sort of joked about the Orion women's uh, actresses resumes here at the top, but honestly, these resumes are extensive and I highly recommend folks go and check them out, especially uh, Menina Fortunato. Uh, she's practically done everything you can do on a production. So just briefly, her first credit was on Alias, uh, created by J.J. Abrams. Season four, episode 13, which was called Tuesday. She was the stunt double for Sydney. Um, then she had Divas of Novella, 
which was a TV movie in 2008. She was an associate producer and casting director for that. Then Meets the Eye, uh, 2012 short, where she was the writer, director, and executive producer. Murder 101 in 2014. She was the associate producer. Uh, She played the role of newscaster. She was uh, involved with the choreography, the website design, and again, the casting director. Faith of the Eyes, a 2018 documentary. She was the associate producer, website designer, production manager, still photographer, and production designer. Uh, so yeah, she's she's pretty much, uh, I was about to say, a jack-of-all-trades. She's a Jane-of-all-trades, we'll say. Uh, and then rounding out the guest stars, we have Mr. William Lucking as Harad Sar. Uh, he was born June 17, 1941 in Vicksburg, Virginia, uh, graduated from UCLA with degrees in both literature and theater, married his first wife, Mimi Hawkins, on June 19th, 1965. Then he got his first credit on Ironside, season one, episode 16, Force of Arms, 1968. And then he followed that up with his first film role, Hell's Bells. Basically, in the 1960s, there were a lot of rebels on motorcycles and bad girls. This is one of those movies. Uh, Highly recommend you pull up the IMDb page because the trailer's right there. And it strikes me as like, I bet Quentin Tarantino has this thing memorized. Like, this is straight (laughs) out of uh, Quentin Tarantino's bag for sure. Uh, The poster for this uh, for this movie reads, meet the debutante in a leather skirt. Too young, too tough, too itching for action to look for it. She'll make it where she is. I'm not sure I've ever heard a more vague description of a movie. Yeah, I have no idea what is going on. In that. I have no idea what that means. No <laughs> well, moving right along. Um, Mr. Lucking would uh, get some time on Kung Fu, season one, episode 13 in 1973. That was an interesting episode, Being uh, ha- having a martial arts background. Uh, that's the episode where it's basically Kung Fu versus Capoeira. So if there are any martial arts aficionados out there and know the differences between those two forms, highly recommend that episode of Kung Fu because you get a little bit of both in that one. And then uh, he had a couple of uh, comic book movie properties. Then he had a few comic book properties that he worked on, starting off with Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze in 1975. Then Captain America 2, Death Too Soon in 1979. That was a TV movie. And then two episodes of The Incredible Hulk. Uh, Season 2, episode 2 in 1978. And then season four, episode four in 1980. And then he appeared as the recruiter in Stripes in 1981, directed by by Ivan Reitman, starring writer-director Harold Ramis, the legend John Candy, and of course, one of the owners of the Charleston River Dogs, Mr. Bill Murray. And then we had Kung Fu the movie. He would return to the Kung Fu franchise with the 1986 TV movie alongside Oscar winner Martin Landau, son of the dragon Brandon Lee, Mako Wamatsu, and of course reprising his role as Kane, Mr. David Carradine. Then he would get uh, an episode of Silk Stockings, season one, episode 14 in 1992. And he would return later that same year to make his directorial debut in season two, episode eight, titled Scorpio Lover. He would play five different characters on 
Then he would play five different characters on Murder, She Wrote from 1986 to 1993, and then make his first franchise appearance on Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 24, Shakar in 1995. And we will finish uh, Mr. Lucking's career examination later in the run of this podcast. Uh, IGN said that although this wasn't the best episode, it was moving the series in the right direction and called it a decent hour of action adventure science fiction. Jason Davis of Cinescape said Kodo has crafted a script that evokes the ambience of the original while spinning a yarn that keeps even the most ensconced Trek aficionado in suspense. And I happen to agree. He concludes this episode, not to mention this season, is what Enterprise should have been doing all along. Uh, that's high praise and a little bit of a a little bit of a slap as well. <laughs> yeah, I, and I actually don't think I agree with the last part of that. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. all right. Well, we'll we'll get into it in our final thoughts section. But uh, Jamal of Jammers Reviews said that it was too dumb, too obvious, too boring, and too rooted in Jared in and too rooted in gender stereotypes. He said that it was sexist and the worst episode of Enterprise in more than two years. Michelle Erica Green of Trek Nation, pretty much on the same side, said it was the single worst episode of any Star Trek series, including Spock's brain. That is what I was laughing at, just for the record. (laughs) never heard me snicker there. I was laughing at Spock's brain because... That episode is so weird. Let's be honest. We all laughed at Spock's brain. That, that was, that's a ridiculous episode. <laughs> uh, but Michelle Erica Green considered it a statement in misogyny. Also thought it represented a scenario where homosexual characters do not exist. You know what? And I didn't get to mention that. Um, I actually feel that yeah. um, it ran in, it ran into to that issue so yeah so i will i will definitely concur with that statement yeah yeah um james hunt last last one from the uh from the critics here james hunt of den of geek listed bound as the fourth best episode of enterprise saying that it found a way to include the orion slave girls in a way that preserved the eye candy and shifted the power in the orion relationships so Let's let's go back and take a look at some of these. I think you had an issue with. Um, so yeah, it was the um, Cinescape one. The Cinescape, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I actually um, I have a couple thoughts mm-hmm. um, on three of them. Yeah. Uh, the, but the first one with Cinescape is I feel when when Jason Davis said that it is what Enterprise should have been doing all along. I actually would disagree because I feel that season four was too anthological um, because they, they went from heavy to storyline to, to accepting the critique a little bit too strongly of going Mm -hmm. back to the anthology of TOS and TNG. And -hmm. I think we forget that what made Voyager and DS9 so successful was they were focused on character development within an in, in, in anthology. And I think that's why Strange New World is doing so well mm. because they're focusing on character de- development. I feel that Enterprise in season four was more focused on the stories of individual episodes. They lost touch with their character de- uh, de- 
development. So that's why I would disagree with that critique. Interesting. Um, not to say that he's wrong or I'm right, but just that I feel that it's a difference of opinion. Yeah. 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 So I, personally, I think that season three of enterprise is probably one of, it's probably one of my favorite, favorite seasons in all of star trek oh wow okay I really just felt it was a good story it was fun um single worst episode of any trek series including spock's brain i think that's just hysterical yeah um, <laughs> where homosexual characters do not exist i was you know that i do feel that was a missed opportunity um yeah yeah but, especially when stuff like that was touched on in TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, yeah, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the James Hunt quotes, um, I think that really starts with what I was um, saying at the start of the episode, just the start of this episode of the podcast, was they found a way to include the Orion Slave girls in a way that preserved the eye candy. Because again, I said they weren't trying to bring back the misogyny of the 60s. Right. Um, but to show the dynamic in the relationship and just kind of give you an idea of how that this culture runs and how they are that their culture through and through is not like a sexual cult 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 culture. It is a culture of exploitation mm. where before you get this idea, Oh, well, it's just a highly sexual culture. No, it's, I see it as a culture of exploitation. And I think that you need this episode to see that. So yeah. I can see why James Hunt would say it's the fourth best episode of ENT because it does give you that species of development. So, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's important to look at certain relationships and realize that you're, you're seeing what is on the surface there are relationships all over the world in many different cultures mm -hmm. and people have no idea what is going on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. uh, not that it completely mirrors the Orion relationship, but just as an example of not knowing what goes on in other people's relationships, it actually makes me think of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm -hmm. when, when the slap heard round the world happened, the news became inundated with every aspect of the Smiths' personal and private lives. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating for me to go on YouTube and watch certain experts, especially body language experts and speech pattern experts, dissect what happened. And it seems like the conclusion that they were all coming to is, there's more going on with the Smith family than anybody has any idea about. Mm -hmm. um, there's a power dynamic that we probably feel is one particular way. And it is becoming very apparent that that is not the case. Um, I won't go into that too much more because yeah. I feel like that's still pretty dicey, a little sensitive area for a lot of folks. I know when, when that incident occurred as a comedian, I, I lost sleep that night. <laughs> that was, that was pretty rough. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so, uh, you know, we've started getting into some final thoughts here, but before we dive into, uh, you know, our last little bit here, let me ask you the question that we ask every week. Is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and watching Star Trek for the first time, is this one they can't miss for one reason or another? 
Um, I would, I would honestly say it would depend on the viewer. Um, there are, mm. there are some who um, just enjoy Star Trek for the fun aspect of it. You know, just the adventure, the, you know, just the science fiction, the lasers, the pew pew. I, I think it's, I think it's one of the better episodes for that of Enterprise in terms of just being a, like, there's not a lot of thought. Like, there's not a lot of cerebral approach to the episode Mm -hmm. unless you dissect it like we are. But if you're just watching it, it just seems like a fun episode where it's like, this is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say for them, it probably is. If you're a casual viewer, you're probably not going to care. but if you love Star Trek through and through and love the species development, I think you'd be remiss if you didn't watch it. Yeah, I think I give you a straight answer. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's no, that's great. I the the worst answer the worst answer for me is yes or no and no explanation. So getting any getting any explanation is wonderful. I, for me, do I think it do I think it's essential to the overall narrative? No, but if you're a fan of the cage, you know, being the Star Trek history fan that I am, I think this particular episode brings out a couple of important details regarding Starfleet and the thoughts of human males of the Orion species. On the other end, I'm a big fan of Tendi from Lower Decks. And I think, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we got to see a lot more of her culture through her. So if you're looking to sort of piece together the Orion experience, uh, the Orion ride-along, we'll call it, uh, I think that's, that would actually be an interesting three-parter. Is, the, uh, is Mariner going with Tendi to Orion? the cage and then back to this particular episode of enterprise this you know largely this first it's not exactly a first contact but it's kind of for all intents and purposes it kind of is a first contact um so yeah overall narrative no but if you're down for like learning about particular orion or a particular species culture especially if you're a fan of the prosthetics and makeup the legendary the legendary crews that have worked on star trek makeup and special effects i think this kind of lumps into that as well so uh thomas thank you so much for joining us for this discussion of this episode of enterprise do you have any final thoughts before we wrap things up well um one thing i would say is that i believe that star trek is so much more than just tv show i believe i've already said once in either a pre-conversation or during this episode that it is social commentary and it gives us an opportunity to just have Star Trek read or just our current life situation. And I watch episodes of TNG or TOS, whatever it is. And I really see it as, you know, me peering into the human condition. Absolutely. So just a couple of quotes. One, we mentioned the um, episode where T'Pol gets addicted uh, to Trillium D. Yes. And she says... Captain, the logical thing is for you to drop me off on the nearest M-class world and plate the hole with Trillium D. 
And Picard says, I can't save humanity by destroying the very thing that makes me human. I think he was regretting a lot of his choices. Um, And then you see him make some choices where he was kind of forsaking his humanity later on. But that's what I love about this next quote that I'm going to share. Yeah, I actually had to look it up because I want to make sure I get it just right. Mm-hmm. It's when Saval and Archer are talking about, like, he basically Archer basically asks Saval, like, "What's your problem with humans? Why do you hold us back?" And Saval says this. He says, "We don't know what to do about humans. Of all the species we've made contact with, oh, sorry, this is to Ad- Admiral Forrest." Of all the species we've made contact with, yours is the only one we can't define. Mm. You have the arrogance of Andorians, the stubborn pride of of, uh, the Tellarites. One moment you're as driven by your emotions as Klingons, and the next you confound us by suddenly embracing logic. And I think that defines what Archer went through when he was in The Expanse. When yeah. in season three of the Enterprise. So mm-hmm. my th- final thoughts would be if Enterprise is a series that you don't like or you don't feel does a good job with Star Trek, with Star Trek or you, you never watched it because you didn't like the uniforms, um, <laughs> you know, read that quote and then watch Star Trek Enterprise in that light. Yeah. Give it a chance. Um People ask me where's the best place to start with Star Trek also. Another mm-hmm. my uh, third final thought. If you're listening to this or you are talking to someone about where they, they should start with Star, Star Trek, instead of giving them an episode to watch, tell them to choose a random episode, whatever it is. Just choose a random episode because anywhere you land in Star Trek is the best place for you to start. Because it's going to read you in ways that I don't think you'll ever really expect. Um, yeah. So again, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, know, uh, but yeah, those are some yeah. of my thoughts. No, hey, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, I'll give a little shout out here to the Red Shirts podcast over in the UK, and I asked them because they cover they're covering the the franchise as well, but they're covering it randomly. I said, and I was, you know, curious as to why they were covering it randomly. And they said, because week to week, we are not burdened by what we saw last week. I was like, that's interesting. It's always a fresh approach. Um, so yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's a wonderful way to approach it. Well, folks, next week will be the last regular episode of Star Trek Enterprise. But Todd, there's five more episodes of Enterprise that you haven't talked about yet. First of all, I know that. Second, don't forget that we're basing most of our timeline off the work of Mr. Jason Keener at the Star Trek Chronology Project. Next, did you not hear me when I said regular episode of Enterprise? Finally, don't call me butt Todd. So we started this journey with him. It's only fitting that we come back to the close. It's only fitting that he come back to close out Enterprise. From the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, and Cinema Shock, we will be joined by Gary Horn for Enterprise Season 4, Episodes 20 and 21, Demons and Terra Prime, which are available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Thomas, 
what do you have going on that people can follow, uh, consume, and uh, support? Yes. Yeah, so right now um, on my Instagram, um, I'm actually working on a few projects, a Lego project. One is actually going to be a um, three badge mosaic that I'm actually working on made completely out of Lego of TOS, the um, first communicator that we see um, in TNG, and then the redone communicator that we start to see in DS9 and Voyager. Um, And I want want to have those three communicators lined up as a mosaic. I'm also working on um, several projects right now, um, a large proj project for any of the Star Wars fans out, 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 out there. I'm actually doing a medieval, I'm, I'm actually reworking my med, my medieval Star Wars mashup of Cloud City. Um, I'm, actually re, I'm actually reworking that for a convention in Chicago um, in June of next year. Um, so that's what I am working on right now. And you can find me, you can bother me, you can send me messages um, at my Instagram, which is at minimal bricks. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to ComputerResumePodcasts at gmail.com or at ComputerResume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?